0: 4.9. This is Soul to Soul on your radio. Erev Shabbos Kurdish, Hashas Tough Shin Pei Gimel, and a wonderful, warm welcome to our entire radio family. It's so good to be back with you. So good to spend another hour on Erev Shabbos together. Bez Hashem, a little bit, getting a little bit of Chizok, getting ourselves ready for a beautiful, beautiful Shabbos. For many, it's already the beginning of the holiday. Some schools are, are over. People are beginning to sort of mellow down a little bit. Some people are still working. We know that. But Shabbos, Kodesh, always, no matter what you're doing, is a time of menucha, a time of taking off, a time of focusing, refocusing, where one's heart and mind really, really needs to be. He says, I have been sort of diminished by all the kindness that HaKadosh Baruch has done to me. For with just a stick of staff, I crossed this yard. And now I have two huge camps. First glance, with a kind of a very, very superficial reading of the Pasuk, one is kind of a, a given a little window in Yaakov Avinu's, I guess we could almost call it, rags to riches story. He crossed the Yarden alone with nothing but his makel his staff. And today he is blessed with a large productive family and all the material assets that he needed. In fact, Tagomolchus adds A twist to the translation of the words, which gives us perhaps pause to reconsider what Yaakov is actually saying. He says, I cross this yarden, alone. Yaakov is not lamenting his economic situation, but rather his emotional situation, the loneliness that engulfed him as he confronted the many, many crushing adversaries to which he was subjected. He was alone, with no one with whom to share his emotions, his pain, his fears. Yaakov's journey was suffused with tears. His only companion, was his staff, which listened to his pain. It never left his sides. Rav Chaim Zaychik paints a powerful image of Yaakov's pain, his groans and endless tears. His staff ameliorated his loneliness. This makel became, as we know, the b'riach hatichon, The middle bar that was 70 amas long and miraculously wound its way through the walls of the Mishkan, unifying and supporting the walls. The staff that absorbed Yaakov's tears, his cries, his groans, was rewarded, so to speak, to become the symbol of miracle that supported the Mishkan. This was not the end of the staff's career. Yeshua, Maishu Benu's successor, as the nation's leader, crossed the Yarden with this staff. The holiness and sincere prayer that was suffused in this staff enhanced its sanctity and gave it the capacity to be the medium for even greater miracles. Moish and Aaron carried the staff. David Melech, carried the staff when he battled Goliath. This staff accompanied every Melech king of Israel, until the Chubin Bais Mekdash, till the destruction of the Bais Mekdash. The Yalka, in fact, in Chukas, teaches that Melech HaMashiach will carry this staff with him when he will strike the nations of the world into into submission to to Israel to the cause of, of Golas, This is the stuff that the, the unique stuff transformed into becoming the holy stuff that accompanied the nation from its very very nascency until it became sort of uh, uh, concealed following the destruction of Esimikdash the tears and pain and loneliness sanctified it our patriarch's pain elevated this stuff to greatness 101.9 Chai FM this is Soul to Soul please stay with us there's so much more to come this is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb only on 101.9 high FM Hi, FM. This is Salt the Salt back on your radio, Erev Shabbos Kodesh, Pashas Va as we prepare for another amazing Shabbos Kodesh. So let's talk some Torah. Let's get into a very, very important discussion. You know, there are these kind of really, really important things that you always hear discussed at seminars and things. And they're halachas. That sometimes we don't understand them, but they're so fundamental. We have Allah in Yiddishkeit. That says, Ein deich nefesh mipnei nefesh, Which literally means, you cannot push aside one person on behalf of another. And in fact, the Rambam Paskins that way in Perak of Hilchas Sisei Dei Tera says, brings the following example. Let's say someone comes and a non-Jew comes and puts a gun to your head and says, give us one Jew and we'll kill him. Doesn't it say, give us a Jew and we'll kill him? If you don't give us over a Jew, then we're going to kill all of you. What's the Can you pick a random Jew and, and give it over? Or must you all give your lives? paskins, the rambam let all of them get killed you're not allowed to hand over even one Jewish person to the Goyim to be killed if it's we'll kill a Jew or we're going to, and you can pick or we're going to pick all of you rather they should all die says the Rabbim right as we find in the Gemara Sanhedrin in the and basement and Beis. right that uh, a a uh, a embryo inside the mother, if that embryo is endangering the life of the mother, right? So so long as the embryo has not yet been born, one would be allowed. <laughs> we should never know such a thing. One would be able to terminate such a a a pregnancy because at that point he's not yet. Alive is only an embryo and the mother's life is in danger, so we can save her life. But the moment his head already leaves the womb, then the rule is you kind of push aside one person for the other. And they want to ask, why don't you kill the child? The child is a roidev. The child is trying to is he's not doing it uh, willingly or intentionally, but his presence is causing a danger to the mother. So why can't we kill the the baby? And the Gemara answers no. That a a this is not a normal case of roidif. A if is usually right. You have a, a one guy is chasing after another person with a 24-inch with knife saying, I'm going to kill you, and, and you see the poor victim running away. So you're allowed to save the life of the, of the uh, person who's being chased by, by neutralizing the, 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 the chaser. So there, because he's, about, he's trying to take his life, you're allowed to stop him. But here the Gemara says, this is different. The Gemara says, Ki This is not man's free choice. This is happening, this is a decree from HaKadosh Baruch that this child in, in the birth situation or after birth, there should be this, this complication. That's Mishamayim. In other, in other words, <coughs> the danger that the child is causing to the mother is, is, a, is a so-called natural occurrence that's caused from Shemayim. And therefore, he does not have the this baby. Does not have the din of a and you could not uh, neutralize him to save to save the mother. If this is so, we then have to discuss and and perhaps get some clarity on a very 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 important incident in this week's parasha, where Yaakov Avinu gets news that his dear brother Esav. Is coming to meet him, the with four hundred sort of chosen hunkies, armed to the teeth, ready to to kill. And what does Yaakov? What does Yaakov do? Yaakov divides his entire family into three camps. Right, he. He First, he dedicates the maidservants and their children, those he puts in front, right? Billa with her two children, uh, Dan and Naftali, and Zilpah with her two children, God and Asher, they are put in the front, right? And they are literally uh, kind of almost, to use a terrible phrase, they're almost like fodder for the enemy father, for Yosef. Then Leah and her children behind them. They're protected by the shavachos. they're in the second line, so to speak. And Rochel and Yosef are behind them. In, in other words, after, behind, behind Leah. Right, so as far away as possible from the danger. And, and Rashi, in fact, explains that why was Rochel and Yosef lost? Acharain Acharain Chaviv. Right? The last one is the most the most precious. So it seems here that Yaakov is marrying, making a very very plain statement and saying that that which is sort of most valuable to me and that which I want to protect the most, those I'm going to place as far away as I can from the enemy. Rachel was a habayis. Rachel was the mainstay of the family. They got placed all the way in the back, and the shvachas, which were also, as we know, daughters of of Lavan, but perhaps. Seemly if you could say such thing almost more expendable, those were put in the in the uh, in in the front, and this of course seems to fly in the face of Ein Ne How can you decide who is more sort of expendable than the other and set them up in such in such a way? It seems very, very difficult to understand. the Radak, Explains the whole concept in perhaps even a more difficult way. He says, what does it mean? The last one is most precious. Maybe we'll be able to appease Esau and calm him down. If he kills. If he sates himself on the blood of those who are in the front, i.e., the Shvachas and their children. He'll leave those who are behind them, which sounds like an incredible statement to be making, and, and really needs to be understood. How is it possible that Yaakov Avinu, right, would would kind of almost almost a layer? his wives and children in such a way in, in front of the, the danger, the danger of, of, of death. Yes, it's written that he actually endangered himself even more than them. Because it says, But who of our them? Yaakov passed in front of all of them. But still, that really doesn't justify and, and, and rationalize the, the, the preference given the way he sets up his wives and children in a particular into particular this type of behavior doesn't fit at all with with the way we understand a uh, uh, works where we just learned that we paskin that's also litraise nevash mepnay nefesh, you cannot push aside one life for another because as as uh, this seems to be what's happening over over here This is a very very strong question and 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 begs to be answered and and understood and please God we're going to try a little bit to to understand it and and justify it but let's have a short break first and then please God we'll come back. And we'll see if we can put the pieces together that will maybe, hopefully, give us some kind of an understanding, some kind of an insight to understand what's, what is such a fundamental and such a basic behavior by our great Av Yaakov Avino. This is one point nine, Chai FM. The program is Soul to Soul. Please stay with us. As you can know, there's great stuff coming up. <music> This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurr, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, soul to soul, back on your radio air of Shabbos Kodesh. Par Shas V'Nishlach Tov Pei Gimel. We are in a dilemma. We are trying to understand the conduct of Yaakov Avinu in setting up his family the way he did in the confrontation against Esau of Russia, where he places the maidservants and their children in front, seemingly most susceptible to attack by the enemy, and then Leah and her children, and finally well padded and protected in the back, Yosef and Rachel. Uh, uh, and this, of course, seems to Fly in the face of the rule we brought at the beginning of the last segment. That Ain nefesh nefesh. How can you push aside? What? How can you sacrifice one life in order to save another? Rabbi Avraham the son of the Rambam tries to somehow justify the the actions of Yaakovino by claiming that there's no. He's not really saying that one is more preferable or, or, or more desirable or more worthy of saving than the other. But he's, he's uh, adapting an acceptable behavior that was done at his, at his time, right? Based on the fact that there was, there was in, 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 uh, in, in his mind, an objective difference between these, these wives. And he says, he's not coming to somehow protect the, the one that was in, in the back. Right. If, if, uh, if uh, if will come and kill the first, because the truth is they're all his children and they're all his wife, but this is what determines the order in which he set it up. that since he was rating them in terms of their spiritual greatness and and those who are of the least significant level they should protect those who are of a higher level and the ones that are of the highest level the one that are more distinguished and more honorable they'll be at at, at the end and that's uh, he says that's a standard Behavior, right? By most of the kings, by most of uh, uh, authority figures, that's the way they set things up. That's that's the way he tries to un- understand it. Rabbi Elezer Waldenberg, in 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 Sitz Eliezer Chilik Yudches, he explains as as follows: that at this point in Yaakov's life, after the the fight that he had with the, uh, the Sarshal with the, with the Malach, with the spi- spiritual force that protects and represents, uh, Esav. So this, Amalach Malach, uh, uh, already had said, perhaps even against his will, he had said Amen and he promised Yaakov that he would be able to overcome Asaph. And in fact, uh, because of what was going to happen at the end, the Malach already portended to, to, uh, to Yaakov that his name was going to become Yisrael. Why? You fought against Malachim and against human beings. And, and, and you were valiant and you, and you were successful. As Rashi says, what does it mean in Manashim, which is uh, uh, Esav and and Lavan? And therefore, since Yaakov uh, uh, of Inu went ahead of them, as it says, So he wasn't so worried at all uh, on, on, on the real actual danger to those who were standing behind him. And only because a, a very, very distant uh, worry that he had, because he said, maybe... Yaakov uh, Vinnu was such a, a big tzaddik and such a, a modest person, so he thought maybe he had done some Avera in between the time of the Malach's promise and, and now, and that would have changed his level and therefore altered the, the situation, and that maybe there would be on, on, on some remote level a physical danger to his, to his family. And therefore, he organized them in in the order of of he did of Akron, Akron Khabib, the most important one at at the back and he, and he decided that uh, 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 in this situation it will be mutter to do that be allowed to do that in in order to really to to show and to give expression to his greater love for those that he puts at at the back. That's what you have. Uh, uh, what the, the uh, the the tzitzel writes in in his tshuva, right? Rav Chesko Mishinva, which is the the older son of, of Rav Chaim Tzanzer, he answers in his sefer Divrei Cheskel as follows: It says, Voheloikim <speaking> Yivakesh Esan Yedov." in Koheles that our Kadosh Baruch Hu always champions the victim always champions the one that is being chased and it brings it's brought down in the medrash that even if the person who's chasing someone else is a tzaddik and the victim that he's chasing after is a rasha hakadosh Baruch Hu will take the sides of the one who's being persecuted the one who's being chased to save him from someone who's who's chasing him as in fact the, the Yalkut says there in, in Necohelis that it was, I mean, so he brings a statement of Rav Huna in the name of Rav Yossi Kodesh, kodesh is going to demand the blood of, the, of those who, uh, 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 who were chased from those who chased them even Tzadik Roydev Tzadik Hakodshboku will take the side of the victim. Russia right of tzadnik. If a Russia is chasing a tzadnik, will take the side of the victim. Even Russia chases a Russia, will take the side of the victim. And even if a tzadnik is chasing a Russia, Hakodhboku takes the side of the victim. In any situation, always takes the side of the victim. Now the maid servants and their children they they were also they were bullied they were, they were treated not very respectfully by their brothers who were the uh, sons of the main wives. they used to call them names you know, they, say they you, you, you they call them maid servants and sons of maid servants and therefore. They were, they were very, very humble, very contrite, very broken people. And uh, they, were, they were really, really uh, uh, downtrodden. They were, they were persecuted. And Yaakov knew that Asav would not be able to touch them. Why? Because since they were the victims, since they were the ones who were bullied and, and being insulted and being, and being stepped on all the time, Hashkod would have their backs. Hashkod would be on their side and protect them, and therefore <clears throat> Yaakovinu could put them in front, and afterwards Leah and her children. After that, even though Leah was one of the main lives, but still they weren't on the same level as Rochel and Yosef because we know that they were more beloved to to Yaakovinu. And in fact, it says Bayara Shem Kisnua Leah. At one point, HaKadosh Baruch Hu saw that Leah was less loved than than Rachel. So again, she too on some level was a victim by, by, by Yaakov. And therefore, they were also a little bit tzebrochen, a little bit depressed, a little bit downtrodden, a little bit subservient. And therefore, they could also stand in front of Rachel and yosef because they would their status as victims would protest them would protect them and Rachel and yosef they went lost and that's what rashi says in other words that Yaakovinu set them up in this plan was the correct way and it was done with tremendous tremendous chokhmah because Yaakovinu's uh, main mission was that all of them should be saved and all of them should be protected. However, when Esav saw that that there were these maidservants and children who uh, weren't even afraid of him, they were standing up in front. So he asked, me and who are these? Who are these people that are so courageous and so brave and they're not even afraid of me? Says Yaakov, these are ha'ilodim These are the children that Hakadosh Baruch Hu has granted to your servant that they have special, special protection of elakim yevakeishes that Hakadosh Baruch always takes the sides of the of the uh, of the victim, and the 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 medrash, medrash, and Kehlas Rabba says, "Vaylakim Yevakei near Nidof Hashem always takes the side of the victim." So Ravuna says, "Name Rav Yosi La'olam Hashem always takes the side of of the of the victim." Yisrael near Dapif Ne'el when High Yisrael is being chased by the nations of the world. And our Baruch Hu we know has chosen Klai Yisrael, as it says, "B'chobochar Hashem." Hashem has chosen you, Klai Yisrael, to be Hashem's treasured nation. Rabbi Loiz, Rabbi Yoisiv ben Zimra says, even by the Karbonas we, we see that says our Baruch Hu, a a ox is chased <coughs> by a lion. A goat is chased by a leopard. A sheep is chased by a wolf. Don't bring me no lions, don't bring me no no wolves. don't bring me no leopards. Only bring me from those that, that are that are victims, as it says, bring me an ox as a carbon, bring me a goat as a carbon. bring me a sheep as a carbon, but none. Of, of the bullies none of, of of the of the of the sort of the persecutors in the uh, lifetime of the Bay Levi, as we know there was a a a, a who was the sheikht in in the community and he used to sell uh, uh, meat and, and chicken that uh, that he slaughtered without the permission and the hashkacha of the rov of the city. The Beis al-Levi was such a, a tremendous chutzpah, how could a shark had set himself up and not be under the control of, of the rov? So they gathered together all the leaders of the community in the house of the rov in order to discuss what to do with someone with such chutzpah who could just uh, break all the sort of rules of the town. So at the meeting were sitting all the Rabbanim and all the distinguished people of the town, and they were waiting for the base levy to come. In the meantime, that Shaykh came in, and he sat down there also. So now, obviously, the people that were there could not judge, could not discuss the the whole topic with him sitting there. And after a short time, the Bay Salevi came into the room of the meeting and straight away, some of the uh, sort of the and the communal leaders came to him and asked him that maybe he should ask the, the Shaykhet, the Chutzif that he was, that he should leave, he should leave the house. The, the Bay Salevi heard their words, but he didn't respond at all. He went back to his room. After a short time, he came back uh, uh, into the into the main room, and again they asked him, please ask the shechet to remove himself so that they could properly discuss uh, the matter of what he had done and and to to uh, make a decision. How how they're going to stop the community from eating meat that may not be uh, may not be properly kosher. So the base Alavi answered and he said, says the whole purpose of this meeting was to to uh, uh, kind of you know uh, discuss and perhaps uh, get rid of the actions of of this of this and uh, from from our midst but if we're going to embarrass him also and and kind of uh, publicly publicly degrade him by telling him to to remove him from here then it's a big problem because now this shai will become a victim. And HaKadosh Baruch who always takes the sides of, of the victim, even if he's a Russia. And then we're not going to be able to have the ability at all, nor the siyat to be able to accomplish what we need to accomplish. Right? The very, very first murder that took place in humanity was, of course, the story of Cain and Havel. Right? The whole world at that time existed, what, four people? And already we had a situation of a quarter of the world murdering another quarter of the world. Right? Why was it, really, that Cayen killed Hevel? So the Torah tells us that Cayen had this amazing idea to bring a carbon to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And only afterwards says the hevel, hevel also brought a carbon. In other words, hevel learnt from Cain, and he also brought a, a korban to Hashem. Now, what happened? Disaster. Hashem accepted Hevel's carbon and Cain's he didn't accept. HaKadosh Baruch Hu accepted specifically the offering of Hevel and didn't accept the offering of Cain. And he was the first one. He was the, the pioneer in bringing of the Korbanas. Cain became very, very angry. And therefore, he went and killed Hevel. Why, in fact, did Hashem not accept the offering of Cain? What, what did Chayyan do wrong that Hashem didn't uh, uh, love the, the carbon? That he, after all, he was the, the inventor of it. So Rashi explains that since the carbon of Chayyan was inferior type of, of plants, in other words, he didn't bring the best carbon he could have brought, therefore, Akadish Baruchu didn't accept his offering. That's what I said. But the medu says, Hashem always defends the victim. In other words, actually, HaKadosh Baruch Hu sort of claims the blood of those who are are, are persecuted from those who persecute. And you should know that's so because Hevel was sort of uh, uh, bullied and 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 persecuted by Cain, and therefore Kadosh Baruch Hu chose Hevel. As it says, by Yishas Hashem?" El Hevel. that ha- Hashem turned to Hevel, and this menus is telling us that the reason that Kadosh Baruch Hu accepted the Mincha of Hevel and not the Mincha of Cain was because Cain was somehow bullying Hevel. The relationship between Cain and Hevel was a very, very stressed and very strained relationship, even before the story of of the carbon. And since Hakadosh Baruch Hu always takes the side of of the victim, who in this situation happened to be Hevel, who was being who was being bullied by Cain. Therefore, Hashem chose him and accepted Dafka his carbon and not. And not uh, and not We find, in fact, throughout history, that Hashem favors people when they're being persecuted. Yaakov is the chosen one, even though others would might feel compassion. For poor Esav, Esav, Iakven Yizer Pamaim was tricked twice, but since he chased she ya, chased Yaakov. Therefore, the pasuk says, "As Esav Sanesi, I hate Esav." Ma'ish Abenu got greatness at the burning bush only after Paro was trying to run after him and kill him. Then, in fact, he became he became great. Why was it that Reuven lost his rights of the firstborn and ceded it to Yosef because Yosef was being chased and persecuted by his brothers? Therefore, he he uh, he lost his right to be charei and Yosef Yosef got it. So many examples and we too in our lives we feel oh, I'm a victim of this person or my boss or these people I'm being picked on and we don't realize that sometimes that can be the greatest schooler the greatest opportunity we have to really grow because when we're down and out when we're being pushed and we're being persecuted and we have people on our tail that's when our Barucho really comes our side. This is 101.1 one Chassay FM. We'll be back in a moment with our Hilchos Shabbos lats. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 one Chai FM. This is Saltersol back on your radio. Heru Shabbos kiddush. Pashas va yishlach tav shin Pe, gimel. As we prepare for another amazing and beautiful Shabbos. Baruch Hashem. It's Chodesh December. It's also Chodesh Kislev. We are approximately just over a week away from the beginning of Chalakah. Chalakah B'A'ez Hashem will begin next week on Sunday night so we have a lot lot to look forward to all the joy and happiness of of hanukkah all the sufganiyat and latkes and wherever you might be it's going to be something something amazing but baruch hashem we have first this this shabbos also an amazing important shabbos pashas <coughs> and here are the as we always do at this point the important times you need to know For this coming Shabbos, the earliest time to light Shabbos candles this afternoon is at 5.26, 26 minutes past 5. That already is the earliest time to light, and we can do it, especially for those of us who may have load shedding going into Shabbos. So then anyway, you need to have your food all heated up before, before Shabbos starts, so it's easy. To have all the food heated and the bathing done and the house in order and and sort of tidied and and ready for Shabbos, all by five twenty-six, and we gain ourselves extra extra value time to our to our Shabbos. It's certainly a worthwhile investment to to do if you want to go sort of standard. So the latest time for benching lich this coming Shabbos is at 6.34. 6.34 is the latest time to uh, bench bench lich. Obviously, many shuls uh, accept uh, their, their, their starting time for Shabbos at the standard Johannesburg summer starting time, which is quarter past six. And of course, you are then bound by the the uh, community you you belong to, that once they say, "Mizma Shliya Shabbos," it is then Shabbos for you, irrespective of what time you want to accept uh, a Shabbos. Obviously, you can accept earlier, but not not later than than that. So, therefore, six thirty-four is the latest time to accept Shabbos. Shkia is at six fifty-two, eight minutes before seven. O'clock. And again, as I always say, do not rely on those 18 minutes between 6.34 and 6.52. Those are only emergency minutes for someone who really, really has a genuine uh, down-to-earth uh, emergency and needs that time. For us, we have to assume that 6.34 is when we lock the gates, put away the keys and everything, and that's when Shabbos, that's when Shabbos starts. If you want to. Uh, Wait until nightfall to Davin Mayav so that you don't have to repeat the Shema again. 7.10 is nightfall, 80 minutes after shkia. You can then Davin Meirev and then you have a beautiful, beautiful evening to sit and and get into the the realm, get into the world of of Shabbos, just kind of mellow down and relax and calm down and have something really delicious to eat and maybe some and, and and tell the children because maybe the children didn't learn Pasha this week in school, spend a few minutes going through the the action-packed story of Parshas Vayishlach, the confrontation between Yaakov and Esav, etc. Tomorrow, of course, we lay in Pashas Vayishlach, and the Haftarah, which is a whole book of Amnach, the book of Ovadia, which is the Haftarah of Pashas Vayishlach, and it's a great big long Shabbos this week. Shabbos Kodesh only ends on uh, uh, tomorrow night, master Shabbos, at seven twenty-eight. Seven twenty-eight is the termination of uh, of Shabbos. As I say, we have another one, whole week to go, and then it's going to be Hanukkah. Those who are leaving this week on holiday, so just have a great, great holiday. Don't forget to take all the things you need, including all your Shabbos apparatus, right? Shabbos doesn't change just because you're out of Joburg. And please bring your devices along so that we can continue to share time together on Friday afternoon in our, in our prescribed slot and prepare ourselves for, for for Shabbos. We are dealing with the laws of... We started last week discussing the concept of the m'locha, of, of bishul of cooking... On, on, uh, on Shabbos, which we said is such an important malacha, we wanted to get to it, uh, first. So the, the malacha, uh, of, of Bishal, of cooking is a malacha, which by definition has the ability to prepare or improve some type of an edible item. And it actually makes no difference if the process of preparing it for eatability I made that word up uh, is done through the process of cooking or the process of baking or the process of frying the general uh, fundamental rule of this malacha is that we are somehow preparing foods and making it edible through heat, through fire. That's what Bishel is. Taking something that may have been inedible or not as edible and improving it or preparing it in the first place using the heat of a fire. And, and uh, through that heat, the food becomes softer Etc. Cetera, et cetera and becomes uh uh edible now of course there, there are many many reasons uh mixed up as to w- what the easter of 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 cooking actually uh is and that uh, we we then by our cooking we create something new the difference between a batter and a and a uh and a cake is something absolutely different. It's intrinsically, completely changed, right? And and it, it, it's the change is very very complex and very very uh, complete. Now, uh, what actually happens is at the beginning, the the uh, the bishop, the cooking softens the the foods, and most of the foods. Are, 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 are by cooking, are brought to a softer state of existence uh, on account of the the cooking. However, there are some foods, and on the contrary, that the cooking actually makes them harder, like an egg. You cook an egg, uh, before you cook it, it's, it's completely runny and soft, and when you cook an egg long enough, because a hard-boiled egg it becomes hard, right? Same thing with, with, uh, with the roasting. Uh, even though at the beginning, the 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 heat softens the food, at the end the roasting makes it very, very makes it harder, and even the uh, those kind of foods that are able to be eaten raw, without cooking them at all, if you do cook them and that cooking process improves them in any way. So you're not allowed to cook them from uh, uh, on Shabbos as, as, a, as a biblical prohibition. For example, water. Right? In spite of the fact that you can drink water when they're cold, right? But since the cooking of it improves them, so you're not allowed to cook and heat water as a total prohibition on Shabbos. But those kind of foods where the cooking doesn't improve them, so then the Yisra cook them is only a rabbinic, a rabbinic Yisra. It's not a, 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 a Torah. A torah is. Someone who cooks with fire or with something that's a product of fire, right? Something hot that became hot through a fire violates this Torah prohibition of cooking on Shabbos. Therefore, if someone is going to even heat metal on a fire and then uh, uh, extinguishes the fire underneath it and then maybe fries on that metal uh, uh, an egg, in spite of the fact at the time of the frying, right, the, the, the metal was no longer on the fire, but since its heat was created by a fire, you violate the total prohibition of, of, uh, of, of cooking. We'll come back in a moment with some lost comments. This is 1, 1. 1.9, The program is Soul to Soul, and this is the greatest Jewish radio station in all of Africa. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnerb only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, back on your radio, soul to soul, Shabbos Kodesh, va Shin, Pei, Gimel. We are talking about some general principles of the Melocha, of bishul of cooking, and we're basically saying that anyone who cooks in the way that's normal to cook someone, to cook something. <laughs> a. Cook something uh, violates a Torah prohibition. Therefore, let's say if you cook with a uh, with a microwave, so you violate an Issa Torah. That's the normal way of cooking today. That is one of the normal ways of of uh, of, of cooking, right? And before we even begin to explain the actual halachas, so we need to we need to preface that there's sort of three different violations in the Malacha of Bishel. Number one, the actual issa of cooking from the Torah. Number two, certain decrees, certain gezeros at Chachamim have made that a person should not do something which could cause him to raise the level of a fire, which would be, let's say, to cook. At, in in, in Tam the Gemara, it was about stoking, stoking coals. And number three, a decree made by the Chachamim that you shouldn't do something that looks like a, a bishul. Right? And any time we want to know if a certain activity is permitted, so you have to ask yourself these three these three questions. Number one, you have to check: is the matter forbidden because of the actual Torah prohibition of cooking? That any Activity which causes that a food should become more edible or go from a state of being raw to edible, that automatically is a Torah uh, prohibition. Number two, even if, let's say, as far as cooking is concerned, it might be permitted to put something before Shabbos on on a fire, but still, a Chacham forbade to do this in certain situations where you might be moved, you might be motivated to want to change or, or or raise the level of the fire in order to cook it quicker or something like that. And that would also cause you to violate the, the Torah uh, prohibition. And, uh, and and number three, even when the cooking process is is finished and there's no longer any possibility that you might actually come to raise the level of the fire for the purpose of cooking it, our chazal forbade to do anything that's going to look like you're cooking. And therefore, you would be not allowed to put on a fire on Shabbos a cold food, which is completely, completely cooked. But I could put that food, let's say, far away, from, from the fire in, in such a way that it doesn't look at all like I am cooking. We're going to deal with all these things in detail as, as we go. But our time is over for today. So all I'm left with is the possibility of wishing you all a beautiful, beautiful Good Shabbos. Those who are already on holiday, enjoy your holiday. Those who are still working as Hashem used this Shabbos as, as a means of strengthening yourself and, and getting back to, to yourself and your relationship with our Kaddish Baruch Hu. And just a real thank you all for being with us, for listening with us, and to each and every one of our radio, of our radio family, a beautiful, warm, and inspired Shabbos Shabbat.